Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Joanna McKenzie. The Rugby Championship kicks off this weekend when the All Blacks play Australia in Sydney. It's all been a bit low-key in the wake of the hype and interest around the British and Irish Lions Tour, but the All Blacks have sprung a few selection surprises. To discuss the test and the series, we're joined by Barry Guy, Stephen Hewson and Massey University journalism student Jonathan Guilford, who's been working with us at RNZ. Thanks, Joanna. Uh, there were a couple of surprises in that uh, all-black side, the first one after the Lions series. Um, uh, Jonathan, I suppose, in a way, could we have expected uh, a few changes from Steve Hansen? But but did you expect uh, McKenzie and Squire to be starting this week? I think, obviously, um, Geordie Barrett was probably going to be the first choice for for the spot. But after going out with injury... Uh, McKenzie obviously got the nod. He's um, proven himself at Super Rugby level. He's quite elusive, and hopefully he can push that through to Test level. I'm hoping if he has a big game on Saturday, it will obviously look good for him in the future. Yes, his stature. I mean, he's a little guy. He's going to be taking high ball and and that sort of thing. But he's a he's a brave guy, isn't he? Definitely brave. Yeah. You can see his size obviously plays into defence and he struggles a little bit at times. And at test level, there's obviously bigger players around. It'll be a bit more tough for him, but he's good in broken play. And if he can get the ball in hand, I'm sure he'll thrive. And uh, you're a Highlanders man and uh, you know a bit about Liam's squad, but replacing Jerome Kaino. So um, that's an interesting call? Yes. um, I think that they brought in Squire... You know, that two-year build-up to the World Cup, get some young blood in there, bleed them through. Uh, Squire's pretty similar to Kano in his physical presence on the field. He's a big man, gets around the field quite well, gets a lot of work in. Um, I think, yeah, if he works hard, he can shine as well. Stephen, um, is this a bit, of, a bit of a change of the guard, though, really, for, for the All Blacks? Are we seeing, seeing a start, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Is this just simply uh, Jerome Kano being rested, given he sort of played a, a decent part in the uh, in the Lions series? I suppose he, he didn't come back with, with Super Rugby when that resumed after that Lions tour because obviously the, the, the Blues were, were out. So I suppose in the the scheme of things, it would appear that he's been dropped rather than simply rested. I mean, I'm sure we'll see him play a, a part in the remainder of the, the Rugby Championship. But as Jonathan mentioned there, with the World Cup two years out, that that's obviously uh, at the back of Steve Hansen's mind. And uh, Liam Squire, he, he's uh, he's had a few Test matches. He's shown he's certainly uh, at the at the right level and that he's that he's capable. He had a few injury problems earlier on, um, but yeah. So you, you've got to you've got to think that it's a, a selection rather than um, simply a resting. And we had such a build-up to the Lions series. It's all we spoke about since the last World Cup, really. And, and now that's over and we're into the Rugby Championship. You sort of gauge 
Is there much interest in this series? Well, yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, it's about as interesting as a magician on the radio, isn't it? Or, uh, you know, everyone sort of talked about the, the lions being the main cause. Maybe this is just the cheese and cheese and crackers. It's, yeah, it's, and it does seem a bit flat. I've got to say, it does seem a bit flat. And I suppose the other factor is that the All Blacks simply aren't the team of what they were a year or two back. I think that's, that's fair to say that. The Lions obviously exposed a few uh, areas where they uh, um, need to improve. Can the Wallabies, Springboks and Argentina kick on and, and make the most of those? I don't think they can because the problem with the Wallabies in South Africa is they're at a pretty much a, a low ebb themselves. Um, I mean, I'm not saying the All Blacks are a low ebb, but they're certainly not what they were a year ago. Maybe they're still recovering from the likes of, you know, Richie McCaw's not there. Has Kieran Reid, is he what he was a year or two back? Possibly not, you know, when he was named World Player of the Year a couple of years ago. Um, Yes, yeah, so, so you know the All Blacks just not not the top of their game either, but certainly top of their game enough to to win the rugby championship and keep hold of the Bledisloe Cup. I would think. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I should ask you though, perhaps because Stephen and I are old and possibly a little jaded when it comes to this. So, do you get excited when you're still watching the All Blacks? Are you excited about this this series? I think I'm definitely more excited to watch this series than last. I think the dominance the All Blacks had last season was maybe the gap between. The rest of the teams was a bit large, but now that you know the older guys are getting on a bit, and there's a lot more youth in the team, it seems that you know it's going to be a little bit closer. And yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I sort of think perhaps uh, the fact that there are some new guys coming in, perhaps we will see something a little different to the shape of the future of of the game. And and the Lions series was so doer, just sort of you know defence just. I know the Northern Hemisphere will say otherwise, but, you know, I didn't really enjoy the Lions series. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to perhaps some open running rugby in Australia and South Africa, and we'll, we'll see what we um, what we get here. What are we going to go on to next? Um, Have you got any other uh, thoughts, Barry? You see, no, when it comes to the, the series, I mean... Um, Sounds like I might be uh, the lone voice saying maybe the the uh, the interest and the hype's perhaps not there. I mean, you're obviously uh... I, well. I have my fingers crossed. I say I'm hoping that I see that, whether we do or not. I mean, the Australians they'll have a strong side, you know, the fifteen, twenty three, perhaps, and they've really got something to prove because otherwise, there's a chance that even though he signed on for a while, that this close to the next World Cup, Michael Checker could get the women heave ho. Um, it, it appears that South African rugby's committed um, with Kutsi. I've got the right guy, haven't I? It seems South African rugby is committed with Kutsi through to the next World Cup, so we hopefully we'll see some development from there. Argentina, you know, they're always competitive uh, and they play well at home. Um, but I'm hoping that we will see some attractive rugby. You know, as, as I say, the Lions, I, I didn't really enjoy that series. And, and, and maybe the refreshing of the All Blacks over the series, we might see something something exciting because you and I were talking about Bowden Barrett. You know, he, he hasn't had the greatest year. He was outstanding last year. Does he now cement his place for the World Cup this year? I think possibly, though, that maybe that goes back to maybe what I just talked about before they're not what they were 12 months ago which means the all-black forward pack hasn't been as dominant as what they were 12 months which obviously has the impact on, on your back line and particularly on your first five maybe that's sort of how Bowden Barrett hasn't quite been to the fore that he, that he was last year um, I suppose you talk about running rugby but I mean are the Wallabies up to it given what you know we talk about what they've won eight of their last 18 tests lost to Scotland 
So we've got a, a, a team here, uh, Jonathan, that a lot of experience, especially in the forwards, you know, a few new guys in the backs. I mean, so in the next couple of years, so maybe leading up to the next World Cup, do you see sort of much changing? I think the, the full-back position, there's definitely a bit of... It could, there's a, there could be some changes in there with Geordie Barrett obviously having quite a you know breakout year this year. Um, he would have obviously it would have been good to have this this series to kind of cement a spot there. Well, you know, back up for Ben Smith. Ben Smith taking a few head knocks. It's gonna change poss- possibly his future in the black jersey. I don't know if he. He's obviously going to be quite, you know, a wee bit older coming into that World Cup. Um, Damien McKenzie, there's a, there's been talks of him going overseas. And, you know, he's been a few spots behind. You know, Geordie coming in this year, He's there's a few places that he needs to get ahead of, a few people before he can get in there. But, you know, he's got this series of the Saturday to prove that he can maybe prove himself at test level and go further. I suppose the other thing, though, with um, Damien McKenzie's got going for him is his versatility, because obviously Steve Hansen's mentioned previously that first five is, is where they see Damien McKenzie's future, but he's obviously the kind of guy that can play at fullback, play at first five, and you know maybe even on the wing. To, so he gives them that coverage, which is particularly crucial come a tournament like the, the World Cup. OK, so it appears we're all picking the All Blacks... Are they going to sweep the series? Is it going to be close? Um, you know, or who's going to be second? We don't really care, I suppose, do we? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Twenty points, All Blacks over the Wallabies this weekend, and yeah, they'll sweep the series. Jonathan, I think the first game could possibly be a lot closer than the the last two, but yeah, All Blacks by twelve. <laughs> so Barry, we've given our picks. You, you don't get away without uh, offering one. Okay, uh, they're paying good money, so I'm going to put it on the Wallabies. Uh, I'll say 12 and under, though. I think they can they can get up. And who knows? We had uh, sending off in the last uh, or a couple of tests ago. Anything could happen, and the All, Bla- or the All Blacks might get uh, upset. So uh, there, I put the cat amongst the pigeons there. Former world champion and Commonwealth Games gold medalist Greg Henderson is stepping off his bike and retiring from competitive cycling. Along with his world champs and Games track cycling medals, the 40-year-old lead-out specialist is a veteran of five Tour de France campaigns and has stage wins in the Vuelta, Paris-Nice and the Tour of California to his credit. But the Dunedin-born cyclist, now based in Boulder, Colorado, says the rigours of international cycling are taking their toll and it's time to concentrate on his coaching career. Henderson says his final race sprint in last week's Colorado Classic was something special. It was actually a really fitting race because, you know, it was in the mountains and my whole career, you know, I've been a sprinter or a lead-out man and we we, um, we typically suffer in the mountains. And I had three really hard days in the high-altitude mountains and I suffered and I suffered and I thought, you know, I'd get through, you know, like I'd, there was no fear of not making it, but I was just like, this is so, like, fitting for my last, UCI race to be just suffering for three days to get through for that one race that I'm here for and that's the sprint stage on the last day and and I was just I was just over the moon you know, I was wrapped that I could do 
the job that that I've done for for so long is I let out McCabe, who's like the young up and coming American sprinter, and you know I I did it you know in my own words you know I mean I came from I came from ten back and I passed everybody and I put them on the front at two hundred meters to go, which which in cycling terms is a textbook lead out you know and it was it was just really nice to do that my very last race at the age of 40, you know, just about to turn 41 and still be able to pass everybody in that, you know, that last 500 metres. It was just really nice. It was a fitting race. It was absolutely perfect, you know. I suffered, I suffered, I suffered, and then I did my job. Just looking back on that uh, that, that pretty stellar career you've got, you know, those gold medals, um, the the tours, what's the highlight? Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to single out one. I think maybe... You know, the first Olympics I went to was was a defining moment for me when, uh, in 1996, you know, I was pretty much in high school and I got selected with my best friend, Scott Cameron, from the same school. He was a swimmer and we both went to the same Olympics together. You know, I've been to five Olympics, but um, nothing, will, nothing will beat 1996 Atlanta Olympics. And I think, you know, then I, I go on to my track career and I think definitely when I won the world title. And then when I won... You know, the, the Grand Tour stage over in Europe, um, and then, you know, having multiple World Tour wins like Perry Nice and, you know, won that a couple of times and, and Eneco Tour. It was, that, that sort of cemented my, my pedigree there as being one of the top sprinters in the world and on the road at the Pro Tour level. So it was sort of three defining moments in my career. And then obviously the last chapter was, I became lead out man for, for Andre Greipel and, and um Greipel and I have had, you know, a, a great friendship for many years. But when we decided to work together, you know, it was five or six years there of just pure fluency. We were very successful in the Tour de France, which is obviously where a lot of people see you know, see me as a cyclist, even though, you know, I race a hundred times a year, they see twenty one days and they may see six sprints. So, yeah, it was um Definitely the Tour de France with Andre Greipel was the was the finishing, you know, swan song, so to speak, of my, of my career. For those who watch on the sidelines, uh, is is the Tour de France, is cycling at that level, as tough as it really looks? It's miserable, mate. I honestly tell you, it's miserable. Like it's um, any Grand Tour, the Giro or the Vuelta or the or the Tour de France is. You know, you only feel good for about maybe five or six days, you know, and then you get your rest day and you feel a little bit okay and then you're straight back into, you wake up in the morning and you you sort of walk to breakfast and it's like, oh, man, you know, often how am I going to race 200 k's today? And then somehow you throw a leg over the bike and off you trot, you know. It's like a, a neuromuscular adaption where you just, you can just do it. It's, it's different to walking. Yeah, they're, they're difficult, difficult days, those, those Tour de France's, those Giro d'Italia's and the Volta Spaniards, you know, day after day, the repetitive stress. And it's, you know, it takes, again, three weeks afterwards before you actually feel like a human again. Greg Henderson talking to Rory Newsom.
Two-time Olympic medalist Nick Willis has a smile on his face despite finishing outside the medals in the 1500 metres at the World Athletic Champs in London. Willis finished eighth with Kenyan athletes Elijah Manangoy and Timothy Chariot winning gold and silver. Fellow Kenyan Asbel Kiprop had been chasing a fourth straight world 1500 metre title but finished ninth, passed by Willis on the home straight. Injury meant Willis had only a limited build-up to the event. He told sports editor Stephen Hewson he expected the Kenyans to dominate from the outset. I assume the Kenyans would be wise to use their um, their advantage this year as to be able to run a really fast time. They blitzed the field in Monaco just um, three weeks ago when they ran really fast times and we were all several seconds behind. I was six seconds behind in Monaco, so... They didn't didn't push the pace in the first lap, and so suddenly I thought, okay, here we go, it's going to be a tactical race again. But then they took off after 400 metres and um, really um, dragged it out there. And so I tried to just listen to my body and try and get the most out of what I could. And I was, I was pretty proud with my performance after pretty limited build-up, but um, those guys were very good today. And um, yeah, eighth in the world. I've, I've got a smile on my face, surprisingly. So, um, no, I'm, we take that as a real positive and stepping stone after the pickup as we will start um, looking forward to the campaign for the Commonwealth Games in probably seven or eight months. You, you, I mean, you mentioned beforehand that uh, you obviously your training, your build-up had gone well and there were, there were good signs there. So did you perform as well as you might have hoped or, or, or perhaps not? I really didn't know how it would go. That's the main thing. Um, afterwards, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud. I mean, you always hold a, little, a glimmer of hope that the unthinkable could happen. Um, there's been so many surprises and upsets at these games. You, you don't want to rule out that possibility. But once the race ended up being a fast race, it took luck out of it. And um, that was my best run so far this season. So I can't ask for more than that. What does this tell you about the Commonwealth Games, the Gold Coast? Does it? mean you're on track does it make you reassess things or, or what can you take if anything at all oh it makes me really excited to know that off of very limited training let's face it it's eight to ten weeks i've been able to put in decent work um that i can still get eighth in the world and with the commonwealth games half of those guys won't be there and i'll i won't have to take any time off after the season because i've been off most of the year so i'll just use this as a um a really good launch pad to get a really good base and um, the best thing is I'm completely healthy so I'm really excited to give this um, super endurance training a go and see what I can do over a 5k. I couldn't give that a go this year because I was only able to do limited training so um, the Commonwealth schedule seems to make the 5k 15 double a possibility and exciting that Asvel Kiprop says that he's going to give the 5k a go at the Commonwealth Games as well so that should be fun to have him and I on the 5k at the start of the game so that that will keep me motivated in training. New Zealand middle distance runner Nick Willis talking to our sports editor Stephen Hewson. For a few hours this week, New Zealand golfer Ryan Fox held the course record and was in the top 10 of a major golf championship. Fox had just shot a stellar second round 66 and was eighth in the field of the world's top 100 golfers chasing the US PGA Championship at the Quail Hollows course. He went into the final round in 12th place but slipped back to 54th as the Quail got the better of the Fox on day four. But the Aucklander golfer is still taking a lot of self-belief from his showing in his first major on US soil. It's a brutal golf course. Um, 
and I just had a, I had a bad day. I didn't drive it in play, which I'd done really well the, the second and third rounds especially, and my short game went a little bit cold, and uh, you know I I couldn't I couldn't have shot a decent score, but I probably could have got away with shooting you know two or three over. Um, you know I, I dropped three shots in the last two holes as well, which which doesn't help. But um, you know had a afternoon tea time on the Sunday of a major, which was still a pretty cool thing to have. Did you feel like it was slipping? No, look, I played really nice in the third round and, you know, I, I felt pretty comfortable out there and, you know, it's just one of those golf courses that gives you nothing um, and you know, I, it, I got I got nothing all day. You know, I had a couple of good shots um, and didn't take advantage of them and, uh, you know, had a couple of shots that I didn't think were that bad. They got punished really, really badly and, um, you know, I guess that's what a major championship should be and, um, you know, I can... I can learn a lot from it, and I can also take a lot of good things out of the week. Your first major U.S. soil, um, and you know you get into the top eight at one stage. How does that feel? No, it's still a little bit surreal, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect coming over here, and um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the week. Um, you know, it was a brutal test of golf. It was some really tough conditions to play golf in. As well, you know, it was it was thirty degrees and really, really humid, or hot, hotter than thirty degrees and really humid, and um, you know, it was it was a tough it was a tough week, but really enjoyable, and um, you know, I, I, as I said, a lot of positives I can take from the week. What was behind that 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 sixty six that stunning round? Um, I just I I just got everything working nicely. You know, I, I obviously was in a pretty decent run of form leading up and. Um, even though I didn't play that well at the Open, I'd had some good weeks, and um, you know everything felt pretty good the first round. Bar driver, I just kept missing fairways by a couple of yards and getting punished, and managed to rectify that on Friday. And you know I had a I had a lot of really good shots, hold some putts, and um, you know it was nice to to have a course record for for three or four hours while uh, until Hideki and Fran- Francesco Molinari came in, but. Um, yeah, it was it, it was just one of those days, and nice to do it in, in such a big event. A course record at a major. What does that do for your confidence in terms of taking that through into your into your your overall game? I mean, obviously, it's it's massive. You know, the best players in the world. I think it had everyone in the top hundred in the world, bar two guys um, who were injured. And you know, it's really nice to to know I can compete with those guys on my day. And you know, I had three pretty reasonable days, and and one bad day and you know there's a little bit of consistency to work on but the rest of it is is there and um, you know hopefully I get a few more opportunities at, at this level and I can you know put myself in contention again. Ryan Fox and that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember if you want to contact us you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz Call Joanna McKenzie ho. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com.